Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So delighted to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have a very special episode. Of course, it is the beginning of the Christmas season, our first episode in December, so I found it only fitting that we find a holiday horror to kick off this season. But first, we've pulled out some of our vintage Christmas ornaments and Christmas decorations. Of course, uh, many people remember those decorations from old. We have various bulbs and as many things in this shop. These numerous items have haunted, bizarre, curious, and unexplained stories behind them. Take, for instance, this tree topper. This looks like a more modern take on the traditional angel tree topper. You have the white cascading robes. But where this angel lacks wings and a halo, this angel has a hood and lacks a face. And therein lies the tie to today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Shudder film. It's a wonderful knife. So It's a Wonderful Knife is a movie that I did not have on my radar. I came into this past weekend... I just I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about on this week's show. Of course, we've got the new movie Godzilla Minus One that has come out, and I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I was like, I I've got to see that movie, and I didn't see it in time to make this episode, but we are going to talk about it on Thursday's episode, so if you've had a chance to go watch it, uh, that'll be a good episode because I do like to get into some spoilers with with movies and really talk about it and dig into these movies and what makes them what makes them good or, or not so good. So we have that to look forward to. But I thought, uh, what am I going to do for Monday's show? And I went on Shutter and found that they dropped this new movie. It's a Wonderful Knife. Uh, I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, this looks like it. It could be really bad or it could be really fun. And I, I watched it and I have to say right off the bat. I was pleasantly surprised by it. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It is a bit of a horror comedy, which uh, to me, it's a real dangerous game when, when directors do horror comedy because sometimes the comedy can overtake the horror or sometimes it can be, you know, not good comedy, but not good horror either. So I, I was I was a little hesitant, but I thought, you know, I am going to give this a shot because it looks like it could be a very fun movie, if anything. And that's what it was for me. It was a fun movie. It was a it was a fun kind of nonsensical watch. I probably would have been better suited to watch this while I'm wrapping presents or the wife and I are decorating the tree or something like that. It's not a movie that. Uh, I felt like I had to sit down and pay attention to because it just it, it had a lot of good points. It had a lot of bad points. Uh, and overall, it was a fun ride because the performances were all really good because there are actually some really decent actors in this movie. So uh, if you haven't watched it yet, check it out. It's about this girl who has 
survived and stopped a serial killer in her hometown. And one year later, her life has kind of gone to shit. She's stopped the serial killer, but then she has all these other things happen to her that makes her uh, wish she was never born. And, and therein lies the tie to It's a Wonderful Life, It's a Wonderful Knife, get it and uh, there, there's a little bit of a twist at the end as to who's supposed to be who in this movie it didn't land for me it actually came across kind of hokey and there was a lot of hokiness in this movie there was a lot of decent humor though uh, again things I'll talk about more specifically once we get into the spoiler territory there are a lot of homages to other Christmas movies. It's, it's not just a satire of It's a Wonderful Life. There's a, a Christmas story reference in there that I thought was really quite funny. And there's a lot of almost kind of poking fun at Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies. Uh, it, it bookends with a, a very like Hallmark Lifetime Christmas movie feel uh, to this. So that was kind of... I, I hope that was purposeful. I hope that was in the interest of satire. Uh, if not, it just, again, comes across as hokey. But if it was done deliberately, I can appreciate that and respect that immensely. It's got some... And decent kills. Uh, there's a lot of blood, a little bit of gore. Uh, like I said, the acting is is quite good uh, because they do have some some really interesting actors. You've got uh, Jane Woodup, who is uh, the lead character, Winnie. She's, of course, from Yellow Jackets. You have Joel McHale playing her father. Justin Long is in this. Catherine Isabel. Uh, of course, from Ginger Snaps fame, was really cool to see her. William B. Davis plays a, a small role in this, but a pivotal role at the beginning of the film, and he is the smoking man from the X Files. So that was really cool to see him, and and several actors and actresses that you've seen different places, but uh, but all the actors, especially the primary ones, Justin Long as Henry Waters, the antagonist of this movie, does a wonderful job. I didn't even recognize him at first i'm seeing this character playing and i'm like wow this guy really has some justin long vibes and then i'm like oh my god that's justin long he's got almost like uh, some fake teeth some veneers on and like a spray tan and this this wig that almost has some it may be a wig it may not have been a wig but i, I think it was a wig and had some almost like blonde highlights to it and he just really was over the top with this character and this character needed to be a little over the top and really stole every scene you know he's he's the one actor that really lit up every scene and while some of the performances uh were quite good uh some of the scenes just kind of fell a little flat and I think that's probably one of the like good and bad points of the director, uh, Tyler McIntyre. Of course, you know Tyler McIntyre. If you've watched the movies, Tragedy Girls, I know he did that. He's also written a lot of stuff. Uh, he wrote Five Nights at Freddy's. He did one of the segments in VHS 99, the Gawker segment, which I really enjoyed that segment. So, you know, he's done several things, a few movies. Uh, he's written some stuff, directed some shorts. And for the most part, Part, he did a decent job with the direction. I just think some of the scenes, like I said, fell a little flat as far as performances go. And I'd like to see him get a little more out of some of these actors uh, because, like I said, 
Justin Long really shined on the screen. Some of the other actors, Joel McHale did a good job. Catherine Isabel did a good job. But like some of the other actors, just I, I wish we could have got a, a little more out of some of those performances. But all in all, it was a fun holiday horror film. Uh, it had some laughs, some good jokes. It had some some horror, some, some grossness, some blood. Uh, it wasn't particularly scary. Maybe a couple scenes that were a little scary, but just not done very well as far as emphasizing the horror it felt more like they were emphasizing the comedy and emphasizing something else that didn't it just felt kind of shoehorned and again we'll talk about that in the spoiler section so you got to go if you want to find out what i'm talking about you got to go watch the movie check it out on shutter it is worth a watch you may never watch this movie again. You may end up deciding to do something while this is kind of on in the background of the periphery. And I wouldn't judge you or blame you for that. But but go check it out and then come back and hear my thoughts on It's a Wonderful Knife. And uh, from here on out, we're going to get into some spoiler territory. So when I saw the name It's a Wonderful Knife, I thought, oh, geez, this is going to be like one of those like hokey. We're just taking the name of a movie and changing one of the words in it to be something horror or horror-centric, and we're going to essentially rip that movie off and probably not do it very well. I'm not saying they did that, because actually I thought the movie was was okay. I liked the story well enough. There was bits of the story that, again, came across as kind of hokey, kind of forced, and I'll expound on that here in a little bit. But when you look at this as a parody on Christmas movies, especially, like I said, the Hallmark movies and the Lifetime Christmas movies, uh, It's a Wonderful Life in general, uh, A Christmas Story. There's that wonderful scene where our lead character has gone through all this shit. She stopped a serial killer. It's one year later at Christmas. Her and her brother are opening up their one gift they open up every Christmas Eve. And she gets like this pink velour or fleece tracksuit. And her brother gets a new truck. And it just, it didn't seem kind of fair. And, uh, and they played the whole pink jumpsuit uh, or a tracksuit thing. Kind of like Ralphie getting the pink rabbit suit from his aunt in A Christmas Story. It, it was It was quite funny. It was very subtle and not over the top. It wasn't like a wink to the camera, but you could tell where that came from. And I I wasn't going to bring this up in this section. I was going to save this for later, but we are going to we're we're going to delve into this right away. In this movie, there are a lot of gay characters and Winnie's aunt is is one of those. Uh, Catherine Isabel's character, Gail Prescott, which is a, a nod to Scream. Uh, Gail Weathers, Sydney Prescott, and th- there were a lot of Scream influences in that. But but she's in a lesbian relationship, and when Winnie is talking about how she got this pink jumpsuit and her brother got a truck. Uh, she talks about her brother got a truck and she got a lesbian tracksuit and. One of the funniest lines, Catherine Isabel's character goes, hey, like she's upset that she called it a lesbian tracksuit. But then she's like, we would never wear that. (laughs) It was just, it was so fucking hilarious. In a lot of these movies, especially lower budget horror movies, uh, low budget horror movies that are a ripoff, so to speak, quote unquote ripoff of an already established movie. 
you get attempts at humor that aren't very good and do not land. This was one of those attempts at humor that just landed and was hilarious. Uh, the timing of Catherine Isabel was just perfect on that and, and was one of the many funny lines in this. But that's one of the things that really felt shoehorned with this movie is that this main family that we've got, like every other character, the only characters that aren't gay in this family are the mom and dad. And honestly, I kept waiting for a reveal that they're gay too. The aunt's gay. The brother's gay. Winnie. We're told through this whole movie that she's got a boyfriend and there are no inklings that she might actually be a, a closeted homosexual but at the end of the movie she's kissing a girl and she's gay and it just it, it felt like uh it, it felt like the oprah of gay characters you're gay you get to be gay you get to be gay and not that there's anything wrong with that don't get me wrong i'm not saying that as it's a bad thing it just it, it felt very much like the the writer of this movie michael kennedy who, you know, he's done some stuff. He uh, co-wrote that movie Freaky, and it, it just felt like man, he's working through some shit with this because it, it just felt very shoehorned, and and these characters all felt very one-dimensional, and especially when it pertains to Winnie, because Winnie is your main character, and you never once in this movie had the inclination that she might be secretly gay. You just find out at the end of the movie that she's kissing the the other girl, Bernie, who you do get some some notions throughout the movie, throughout their interactions, that that she might have a crush on Winnie. You didn't get that with Winnie, and like I said, it just it felt very shoehorned. I saw some quotes from some reviewers that kind of compared this to like queer exploitation. I can't speak to that. It just felt like. Like I said, very shoehorned. It felt like uh, the writer of this set out to have X number of gay characters in the movie. And given the fact that all the, the main characters and the main crux of this story are all this one family, that like everybody in this family is gay. And they're gay. Not that I care if there are gay characters in the movie. There are tons of gay characters in movies that uh, I really enjoy. The characters I enjoy. The stories I really enjoy. It just felt like they spent more time finding out, okay, how can we make this character check a box? And it almost felt pandering. And they spent more time worrying about that. And the writer spent less time worrying about uh, putting together a real coherent story. But I say all that to... Uh, drive home the point that there was a lot in the storytelling and a lot in the writing that just felt awkward in this movie. And not even the good performances could hide that. There were a lot of things awkward storytelling-wise. You have this situation where this girl stops the serial killer, and a year later, her life has gone to shit, and she wishes over a magical aurora borealis that uh, it shouldn't be there where they live because they live too far away from the Arctic Circle, but it's there, and she wishes she was never born, gets her wish, a la George Bailey, and they could have just left it at that. The reason this happened is the miracle of Christmas. Uh, I, I don't care what you wanted to call it, but they went into like detail later on. Bernie 
woke up early in the morning and did a shit ton of research and has this big bulletin board full of articles she's cut out. And it felt like that Charlie Day, it's always sunny in Philadelphia conspiracy theory meme. I'm like, where where the fuck did all this come from? And there's this local lore that the Aurora Borealis has, has shown up before, but it's from a spirit that died violently and it brought her to this reality where she was never born. But it doesn't make sense because they establish that it is the Henry Waters character played by Justin Long. It's established that he's the spirit that died violently because she killed him. And he's the one that brought her back to this reality where she was never born. But to get back to where she should be, the reality where she does exist, she has to kill Henry Waters. Well, why would the the spirit that brought you there want you to kill it so it can send you back from whence you came? It, it just didn't fit. And it was very much trying to over-explain something that just could have simply been explained as it's a miracle that we'll never understand. Sometimes you need exposition. Sometimes you need story plot points explained. Sometimes it's better just left unexplained because... When you try to explain it too much, it just becomes too muddy and too convoluted. And that was the case with this movie and and what they were trying to do. Now, I heard some people complaining that there's a huge spoiler in the trailer. And I know exactly what they're talking about. A lot of the the reviews I saw were non-spoiler reviews and and videos on YouTube that I watched. And, And I know exactly what they're talking about. It is the revelation in the trailer that the Henry Waters character, played by Justin Long, is the bad guy. And yeah, it does spoil the movie if it was a mystery as to who the killer was, but that wasn't the point of the movie. The point of the movie was that she stopped this character from killing more people and she was sent to a an alternate reality where she was never born and she has to kill him again to get back to where she came from. The point of the movie isn't who is this killer. The point of the movie is how is she going to get back? And they don't even really make a mystery out of that because they tell you quite plainly she has to kill Henry Waters again to get back to her reality where she does exist. And I think that's another part of this movie that if it dragged at any point, it was because it just was very meandering as to getting to this point where they understand that and then getting to the point where she actually does the deed. They do throw in a little bit of a wrinkle where her father, played by Joel McHale, I like this character. I I like the father, David Carruthers, played by Joel McHale. Uh, He does a really good job with this character, being a, a likable dad. And in this new reality, he's... It's not that he's not likable, but the brother that she has in her reality, Winnie, that is, she saves him from being killed by the the angel killer, the Henry Waters character. In this second reality, she was never there to keep him from being killed. So Joel McHale's character, his only son, his only child has been killed, and he's kind of the shell of the man he was. And while in the original reality, he is the employee of Henry Waters and kind of at his beck and call 
In this reality, he's still that, but he's under more of the spell of more of a cult-like leader. And they do have that twist where you think that she is killing the, the Henry Waters character dressed up as this angel, and it is her father that has been given the duties of, of killing people for Henry Waters so he doesn't have to, to dirty his hands. Not a twist that I didn't see coming. I almost wondered if they were going to do something like that. So I wasn't really surprised when they pulled that off. And then that finale scene where they have the the, the kind of town meeting and it looks like there might be 20 townspeople there. It's It looks a lot bigger of a town than that, but, uh, but there are only like 20 people there and Henry Waters is talking to them. They're almost in a trance-like state, like he is some sort of cult leader and there almost feels like some sort of supernatural properties to it because like these girls are wailing on him and eventually killing him and they don't move a muscle. It, it was really awkward. And I, I don't mind that if there's a reason for it. And I've never been given any information as to why this town is acting the way it is. And so there again, a, a little more explanation in the storytelling. And maybe not even explanation, but you know, you have to have some reason to the rhyme. And then they have the other twist at the end because uh, the whole thing is kind of a, a spoof off of It's a Wonderful Life where she has a, a shitty life. She lost her boyfriend, she didn't get accepted to the school, she's mourning the loss of her best friend, you know, all these shitty things are happening to Winnie, and she wishes she had never been born, much like George Bailey, and goes into a reality where she had not been born, and when she meets this Bernie character again, a, a town pariah, uh, the girl that everyone picks on, and and very much the uh, she's got glasses and her hair's all frizzy, so she's obviously the the town nerd, and nobody thinks she's pretty, but uh, you know, actually a very attractive actress. But they have this conversation when they first meet up in this. The second reality, Bernie tells Winnie that, oh, she's George Bailey. And Winnie asks Bernie if she would be her Clarence, the angel that facilitates everything in its wonderful life. The line was hokey as F, but uh, hey, who am I to judge? And at the very end, they pay off something that was kind of alluded to earlier in the movie, how uh, Bernie was going to kill herself until Winnie came along and Winnie realizes that she wasn't George Bailey. She was Clarence to Bernie. It, it, it was a very saccharine, sweet, and dopey. And, of course, Bernie comes back with her. And Bernie has all the memories of this other reality. And they live happily ever after. It was kind of a hokey, corny ending. And I don't know if that plays into the spoofing on the Lifetime and the Hallmark Christmas movies. Because this movie bookends like that at the very beginning it is very much you see this idealistic quaint little town tucked away in the mountains of who knows where it almost feels like colorado i know i'm pretty sure they filmed in vancouver 
So wherever this town's supposed to be from, it's the quaint little town that has the developer coming in trying to gentrify things, the run of people out of their homes to run businesses out so he can uh, put in, you know, bigger, newer, better things. It felt very much like a, a Hallmark movie. You had some of that saccharine sweet Christmas moments to start things out. But then it really kicks into the horror pretty quickly with the murder of the Roger Evans character played by by William B. Davis, the the smoking man from the X-Files. Him and his granddaughter, Kara, played by Hannah Huggins, who I I liked her performance as well. She wasn't in a ton of the movie, but I thought she did a really good job. I'd like to see more of her in this movie. She was the best friend of Winnie. But you had that that bit of saccharine, sweet Christmas nostalgia to, to start this movie, and then they go back into that. Once Winnie comes back to her own reality, where she exists, it's quasi, it's a wonderful life. It's quasi saccharine sweets, Hallmark style. Uh, she does the thing where she's running down the street saying, hello, movie theater. Hello, you. And, and all this jazz. Kind of like it's a wonderful life. But then, like I said, it very much leans back into the saccharine Christmassy feel of, of a Hallmark or a Lifetime Christmas movie at the end of it. And there again, part of me wants to vomit. When I see that, uh, I know a lot of like my mother-in-law and actually one of my best friends, uh, he, for some reason, just loves Hallmark Christmas movies. My mother-in-law loves Hallmark Christmas movies. I, my mom, I'm sure, loves Christmas Hallmark Christmas movies as well. I just, I hate the formulaic nature of those and the saccharine sweet. I'm just one step away from diabetes as it is. I don't need that much sweetness in my life. But I can stomach it. I can't take it if it was done in the name of parody. And I can appreciate that. And I think that's one of the things that did make the hokiness of this this Hallmark style beginning and end. I think that's what makes it work with a bit of horror in between. And, and speaking of the horror, like I said, uh, it wasn't a ton of scary moments. There were a couple scenes that were kind of creepy the scene where this angel killer is hacking up this guy with an axe uh, while everybody's inside of the party and and you see the bulk of this scene play out from inside the house and there's you can see people in there and the the christmas lights but you see the action you see the murder take place outside this big picture window it was really good i i really liked that it's nothing we haven't seen before but i enjoyed that Uh, There was a scene they tried to do similar to that in the movie theater where Winnie, all she has, the the lights are are cut, the power's out, and all she has is this flash from her her camera, and she's flashing it, and you see glimpses. It almost feels like they were trying to do the scene from David Gordon Green's Halloween with the motion detector light and Michael Myers. It felt like they were trying to recreate that to a degree, and... Well, that was one of the few things I did like in 2018's Halloween. Uh, it just didn't work in this. It, it could have been a lot scarier. There were a lot of scenes that could have been a lot scarier because this this killer felt interesting. You know, it, it was an angel. You know, all the white robes, the white hood, this white faceless mask. It, it looked creepy. And I heard somebody comparing it to Moon Knight. <laughs> That makes me laugh. I can't unsee that. But but I did uh, I did think the killer had an interesting look. I liked the idea of this killer. Uh, it had this you know particular knife with these angel wings on it. Uh, there was no lore as to where that came from. It just it just was, and I think that would have been interesting 
an interesting avenue to go down if you didn't make the killer the Henry Waters character. If this was just kind of a mystery as to who this was, I think that would have been an interesting thing to play into with lore and figuring out who is the killer behind this mask. But the problem I had with this killer was that it felt very much like Ghostface from Scream. You had too many scenes where this it's somebody in a costume running around chasing somebody, falling over shit, you know, flailing their arms. Like I said, I've said time and again about Scream, like one of those wacky waivers at a car dealership super sale. And it, it just, it's things like that that make a killer not scary. I know people don't like, there's, there's a certain sect of horror fans that do not like serial killers or slashers that have a supernatural nature to them. Or they hate it when characters all of a sudden, they feel like all of a sudden they have a supernatural nature to them. Michael Myers. I hold that Michael Myers was supernatural from the beginning because how does he take all those bullets, fall off a house, get up and fucking walk away? That's not human. That is something else. But... I digress. I don't want to get into that debate here. But but I think when you have a slasher that is superhuman, that is impervious to blows to the face or getting hit in the head with a picture frame or shit like that that we saw in this movie, it makes it a little more intimidating, a little more imposing. It makes it scary. How do you stop this thing? If you are going to make this a regular person, you can't have chase scenes. You can't have you know prolonged kill scenes. This person has to be smarter than everyone else. This this person has to be setting a trap, laying wait, make the kill quick, make the kill brutal, but make it quick, and then he's gone. No chase scenes, no running around, no tripping over shit because he's got a mask on. That stuff weakens your slasher or your serial killer, and I think that's one of the areas where they had a really cool and interesting and a different look for a slasher in this movie that they really kind of squandered by making it too human. That was a little disappointing when it all was said and done. And especially when you realize it's it's Justin Long behind the mask. <laughs> it's like, how can I how can I be afraid? Even as a bad guy. The guy's hilarious and kind of goofy. And I don't know. I I wanted to buy this killer. I did to a degree, but there were a lot of things they did with this killer, this angel killer that uh just didn't work for me. But ultimately, as a Christmas horror comedy, I think the movie does work in its entirety. It works on the parody and the satire of, of Christmas movies and Christmas in general. It feels like a Christmas movie from start to finish. They did a really good job with the set design and always having elements of Christmas and lights. I did like the one scene like one of the first kills where the the angel killer runs a like a pointy large pointy candy cane through the back of this kid's head and through his mouth that was kind of gruesome i wish i could have got more of that but i think it really did feel like a christmas movie it had some really good performance like i said some of the scenes felt a little flat but the performances i thought were pretty good I thought it had a really good soundtrack. There were a lot of really cool needle drops from artists you may not know, but really well done songs. I really loved Holy Fucking Shit It's Christmas by Sean Keller. Great song. And it had a slasher, a killer that I wanted to believe in. I wanted to be terrified by, but unfortunately, they just didn't do a good job of making me afraid 
of this angel killer. And that was probably one of the biggest disappointments that at no point was I scared. I laughed a lot. There was a lot of funny moments. Like I said, the part about the pink jumpsuit and the comment from Catherine Isabel, uh, that, that was hilarious. There was a scene with the, uh, it's Henry Waters' brother, Buck, played by Sean Deppner. And he, he's, you know, uh, directing everybody at this crime scene and talking about, can we get more caution tape? Uh, we need to be more cautious. I, I don't know why. That, that line just cracked me up because it was almost like off screen, not quite off screen, but it was a like a throwaway line in the background that you, you can't help but hear. And it was quite quite funny and there was the the humor in this for being a horror comedy was was pretty good I, I didn't mind the humor in this I just wish the horror I mean looks wise uh, kills wise they had some blood and whatnot they had horror you know they had the things that look horror they just didn't have any scares and again probably another one of the biggest disappointments I had about this but but all in all it was a fun movie probably not a movie I'll watch ever again it's not like one of those holiday horror classics that I'll go back and watch every year or every other year. I'm not going to watch this movie again, but I'm glad I watched it. It was a fun enough watch that uh, that when it was all said and done, I was like, ah, that wasn't a great movie, but it was okay. So those are my thoughts on It's a Wonderful Knife. Not a horrible movie, not a great movie, but you know, if you're looking for something to watch just to pass the time, maybe you're baking Christmas cookies or you're wrapping holiday gifts or maybe you're just, uh, you know, you had a little too much eggnog. You don't want to just kick back and relax and watch something while the alcohol wears off. Uh, you throw this on. Uh, I think it's, it's fun enough that you'll enjoy it, but it's not something that you'll remember to watch next year. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on It's a Wonderful Knife. You can check out more about what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Always posting about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. No matter where you listen to this podcast, please leave a review. Five stars will be awesome. That That's the best gift you can give us. Well, I take that back. That's the second best gift you can give us. Uh, the next best would be to uh, share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction as well as following liking subscribing no matter where you listen to this podcast do that and stay on top of all the latest episodes uh, as we've got uh, a lot of stuff to talk about in the month of december we've got uh, christmas coming up we always like to do a christmas special we've got the end of the year special talking about the year that was horror fantasy and science fiction in 2023 so a lot coming up in December. Plus, we got a lot of great movies still to come, a lot of TV shows uh, coming out, and a lot more to talk about. I've even got some music. There's some new music that's going to be coming out that kind of leans into horror, fantasy, and science fiction that uh, I'll be talking about as well. So a lot to come this last month of the year. And I want to thank everyone for listening. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!